Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And we're located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that great, big, beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, directly across from Winkies. We also have the ability to serve our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. If you'd like to put a face with a name, or I would say actually a voice, um, you can go to ellenbecker.com. My guest today is truly one of my most favorite people in the world. And um, I got to know um, Kabi Sharif probably, well, Kabi, I don't know how long it's been, a but decade. a decade at least. And I remember uh, meeting her and talking to her about Ellen Becker Investment Group and some of the things that we were doing. And she said to me, you know, you really need to look at some of that um, intellectual property that you have as intellectual property and think about trademarking. And I was like, what is trademarking? And at that time, I belong and still do to a large group of um, advisors and stockbrokers around the country. Both Julie and I belong and we get together at least once a year and we have regular phone calls. And I remember mentioning to them that I was going to do some trademarking because I was going to do billboards and all the things we're doing. And they literally said to me, are you crazy? Why would you spend the money to do anything like that? And Kabi, I remember coming back and saying to you, they think I'm crazy. <laughs> and you said, I don't think so. First of all, you want people to know that you mean business, the things you say you're going to stand behind. And so Kabi, I don't know how many trademarks I have now, 20 some. Oh, at least. Um, at I have least. your portfolio in front of me, which is <laughs> impressive in every regard. And the thing that people don't necessarily understand who are not active in this is that it's intellectual property with the emphasis on property. This, the, the intangible assets that a business owns has tremendous value, both currently and in the event that you ever sell your business. It's it's the place and the vehicle that people identify you. So you can send, you can create a message as you have done. I mean, your, your whole mission is to let people know who and how you are. Advisors who help and, and go on. Advisors who... who um, listen, one of our first ones yeah. was before we advise, we listen. And I have had so many people call me and say, can I use that? And I go, no. <laughs> well, that's, that's me. That's me. That's my philosophy. That's what we do. So you've you've done both. You um, have both protected your messaging by creating an exclusive space where competitors can't come into. So if somebody, a competitor in the financial services industry were to use, and we've had this happen with you, advisors who... Um, uh, before we advise, we listen similarly, or before we invest, we listen. 
or something that's confusingly similar, the intellectual property, the registered intellectual property keeps a fence around you, you and your trademarks at, to avoid consumer confusion. People identify that with you. Well, you know, when people have called me to use some of the things that we have protected, they say, but it's great. I really, I would like to say that. And I, and I think to myself, oh, thank you, Pabby. That's why I'm protecting it because it's part of who I am and it's part of how we do business. And to share it just diminishes some of the value. Well, and it's, it's not only that it diminishes the value legally, if you permit other people, either by inaction or by permission to use your trademark without an explicit agreement, you have legally diminished what you own. Part of, of the point of all this is exclusivity. It's trademarks are supposed to function to identify and define your business, not a shared business. Well, and I know that you've already, you've always talked to me about the importance of brand reputation. And, you know, that's one of the things that, um, I mean, you've taught me so much to help me to understand the importance. And so maybe, you know, we jumped right into it. Um, my guest today is Kabi Sharif, and she is right in Pewaukee, Wisconsin. And as I said earlier, um, she has become a friend because we have worked so closely. And I think that that's the beauty and the value of working with an attorney and having them get to know your business, to understand your brand, and to help you determine what do you need to protect and how can you build that um, relationship with your community and the people who are surrounding you. Well said, Karen. I, I think it's. I think whether your business is is has a B two B, a business to business model, or a business direct to consumer model, as you do. Establishing trademarks allows you to have goodwill. It's a shorthand. It's a way of people understanding whether it's a, a brand that's on a shelf or as you do services, people see, see your slogans on billboards. It's a shorthand. People see that and say, oh, that's, that's, that's Karen Ellenbecker or that's EIG. Yes, I recognize that. And those expressions, those slogans, those designs become a symbol of goodwill. And it's a way of controlling your reputation and creating brand and customer loyalty. So it's huge. It's, it's huge. It's, it's probably, people say that it's 40 to 50% of the overall value of, in terms of business assets, are the intangible assets. That's really, uh, that's amazing. So what you were talking about, just so my um, listeners can identify with themselves. So we have trademarked our word EIG. Yes. That you've trademarked. You've also trademarked the slogans that people see, like before we invest, we listen. And then um, how we also do that, and, and you've helped us to understand, is that we need to use those. You can't just trademark them and they're yours without actually um, using them. So we have one that's exceptional planning, extraordinary service. That's one of them. And then we also have trademarked our EIG oval and the colors and that so we use. All, so, any, so the interesting thing about trademarks is that they needn't be just words or symbols. They can also be things like sounds. Think of like the MGM roar, you know, the lion roaring 
or um, colors, that Tiffany blue, that blue box, that is particularly associated with Tiffany and jewelry. In your case, it's the oval, it's the, it's the slogans. Here's another one of my favorites. Let us invest in you. Yes. You've been so brave and you are so creative that you know, you're like, oh, Kavi, just go for it. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be such a rough prosecution. And you've been <laughs> successful. So you have this, this portfolio of registered trademarks. And because they are federally registered, it gives you much greater clout in protecting them from incursion by third parties. Things well, like, you know, it, you can... Um, once a trademark is registered, you can keep people away on places like Amazon, eBay, all, all sorts of, um, all, all sorts of um, online vehicles as well. Well, I know, Kavi, one of the things that we talked about is, you know, no one was doing financial uh, billboards when I started doing them. And um, then, of course, like everything else in everyone's industry, people start to copy you. I mean, they say, oh, that looks good. And then they try to do it. But one of the things that was really important and you had told me was that if you're willing to spend the money to get something trademarked and to put it out there, people look at that and say they, they're going to stick to it if they're trademarking it and making that. If it says that we listen, we really mean that we listen and all the different things that are our, our slogans. We have our new one up there now. And I believe that one got trademarked. Kavi, you'll have to tell me right here online. Um, advisors um, who care about your well-being. And that was one of the new ones that, that we started working with. That is not registered. But, um, but you know, I look, I look at, for example, move forward with the IG. Yeah. Your your message that's that's a registered trademark, so you can keep other people away. It's these 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 assets are as you indicate they are good for as long as you are using them. So subject to um, filing the renewal documents and continued use, these assets don't have an endpoint. It's different than a patent that is, you know, a limited property right for a specific period of time. If you use your trademarks, they are good forever. You know, Kabi, I started my business and I was well into getting my business going before I even knew about doing this. Is this something that people should consider as they're starting up their company, as they're really putting their business plan in place? Yes, for I mean, in the best of all worlds, it should be part of the initial business plan, because you know, picture a situation where somebody is starting their business and they haven't done trademark searching, and they launch their business, and it turns out that somebody is engaged in a similar business using a registered trademark. They receive a cease and desist letter, and there's if they're in an allied field or related goods and the mark is similar or identical, the prior registrant can make the, this newcomer stop. And so here it is, they've gone to all this trouble to get started, they have spent money, they've you know, done letterhead, they're starting to have goodwill and they have to rebrand. And that's very expensive and causes a real loss of trajectory and a loss of heart. And, it makes so much sense to be planful and thoughtful 
from the very beginning. It shouldn't be an afterthought. It ought to be part of the initial startup, the same way that you register with DFI, the Department of Financial Institutions, you get your insurance, you adopt your URLs, you do trademark searching and registration should be part of the initial budget and business plan. When you have somebody call you and they have an idea and they're asking you, because this is anywhere in the, in the country, it's not just Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you're looking at this from a broader and a, and a much broader um, sense. What does that look like? What are the process that you have to go through? When a client initially calls, um, it, assuming that they are, it's very different if they are somebody like you who came to us with a, um, you know, a well-established brand. That is a, a different search than someone who's a startup. But there are um, databases that we use, both public and private, to conduct a trademark search. Um, I always, if somebody is, is just starting, I suggest they do a Google search themselves and look around themselves to see if somebody's using it. They can save themselves time and money. You know, it's frankly, we're, we're very fortunate to be busy. It's not that we're looking, you know, to necessarily start. I always help companies who are just trying to get off their, off, you know, out of the gate on their own. Um, and I'm happy to do that. But in, but the first part is a search and it's, um, it's a national thing. As you indicate, when you register, your trademark is good through the country. So whether or not somebody is actually aware and whether they're in Iowa or Montana, you have a knack, all of your, Karen, all of your, all of your registrations are national. So that gives you a great scope of protection. It is so worth it. If you can get through the, the, the arduous process of registration, you own something that has real value. And there's, it's also, in terms of international, I think that we should spend a few minutes because the, war, it's not, the world these days is closer than just domestic. Yeah. Let's, let's take our quick break right now and we'll come back with that whole international um, point of view. I want to say again, my guest today is Kabi Sharif. She is with Bloomfield and Sharif. She's located right in Pewaukee, Wisconsin. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And we're talking about something that makes me very excited. And we're talking about trademarks and you know how businesses should approach them. We're also going to be talking about patents and all of the things that really are that umbrella over the things that you work so hard for. And I know I've really worked hard to build my brand. And why wouldn't I want to protect it? I guess that's the question. And part of it is, as a business owner starting out, you know, we now have 40 plus employees, and there were three of us, one of them was my mother. <laughs> you know, you're wearing all these hats, and you don't often think of it. And um, so I was blessed to meet you, Kabi, in order to learn about the importance of trademarking. And um, I know one of the calls that somebody did call me was Denver. And that was about, they had seen the sign. They had been in Milwaukee visiting. They had seen my billboard, went back and said, I, that is great. We'll never use it in Wisconsin, but can we use it in Denver? And I remember calling you and saying, cause I was fresh. I didn't know anything and saying, Kabi, this really nice guy in 
Denver wants to use my sign. And you said, no, 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 no. And I said, but what harm can it do? And he said, well, if he uses it and he doesn't do what he says he's going to do, it could be associated with you and it could be bad publicity. And so those are the kinds of things. That, and like you said, the world is so big now. It's international. And often little old Karen in Milwaukee, Wisconsin doesn't sort of think that way or didn't well, think that way. <laughs> you hit on one of the things that's so important. Um, trademarks are allow you to control your reputation. It is that shorthand that consumers recognize and associate directly with you. And by controlling, even though everybody, you know, I appreciate that you want to be kind, that you want to say yes, that you, you know, you think, sure, what's the difference? Legally, though, unfortunately, or fortunately, um, if you acquiesce, if you give permission without a written license, you've diminished your brand because you can't control what they're doing absent a contract. And we see this in the international context in, in very important ways. And this, this bears attention. People are launching into new markets, both, um, both expanding geographically and into different business areas. And that is, is potentially an area that's really fraught. We've had two stories that I just wanna tell you about quickly because I think it's important for companies entering new markets to know. The first was um, a country, a, a client entered into a new market in Asia. Um, and they, as people do, had a local agent because that facilitates the entry and the building of the showroom and all of that. And everything was great as long as it was great. And then the agent and the company had a falling out. It turned out, however, that the agent had registered both the URLs and the trademark in its own name rather than in the company's name. And here the company was in a foreign jurisdiction. Local courts are not terribly, as a non-local entity, the local courts weren't inclined to be helpful. There was no contract with the agent that specified about ownership of the intellectual property. The contract specified very carefully about what the duties were of the foreign agent, but had neglected to mention that all the intellectual property was owned by the company, not by the individual. It took several years for us to wrest back from this agent all of the intellectual property. But meanwhile, this agent had gone into business for itself made itself look like the company. So here's the company competing against itself. Eventually we made it all okay, but talk about loss of income, loss of trajectory, time, goodwill, all of that could have been greatly improved had the company gone into this new jurisdiction, this new country, promptly registered its URLs and the company name through their tra trademark registration system rather than just leave it to the agent. It was a nightmare for the company. As I say, we fixed it, but it took years. And I know with all these things happening all over the um, all over the world, and you know, you think about all these purses that I don't know, all this stuff that people are copying and making copies of and selling for reduced, and you don't always know who you're dealing with. And there's been several times that I've gotten things that look really real. And if I go a little bit further to dig into it, I realize that it's it's a phony. It's not, it's nothing at all what I thought it was or the company I thought and it was. Through in the trademark office as well, there's um, 
because trademark filings are public, there are scammers who literally sit on the filing and send notices saying, um, we see you filed an application, send, um, send us an additional $1,000 for the international registry. I mean, it's just nonsense. And they bypass the attorney and these scammers send notices. And part of my initial correspondence with all of my clients is to say, if you get a piece of trademark <laughs> correspondence and it's not from me, whatever you do, don't pay. Send it to me and I'll review it because it's most likely not real. So your instincts are right, Karen. You're just really smart because there are a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of very corrupt people out there. Well, I'm smart because of you. <laughs> and, and, and even so, I know I've sent you things and thought, what is this? It sounds so real. And you just remind me that, you know, it'll all come through me, everything. And that's the beauty of working. Well, for me, I will say that is the beauty of working with you because you understand my company and you know what I have and you know how we've built things and built them up that I don't ever have to start over with you. Um, I can just call you with an idea and you'll say, I don't know if that's going to fly because it's this or let me check. And it simplifies things for me. Well, that's the the beauty, frankly, of long-term relationships. You know, I have my clients typically, I know for, as I do you, for decades. Um, and the most fun for me is going to shop floors, going to meet with companies, understanding how they're growing, what their long-term and short-term business goals are, and how learning how the intellectual property can further their goals, whether it's entering into a new market, entering into a new, a new country, or just having a new product introduction. All of those things create the opportunity for intellectual property to help companies further their goals. And that's so fun. It's so fun to be a part of that. And to see the, the little company grow into a big company and to know that you were really part of build, building that brand. And we worked so hard to do the right thing to build our brand. And then, you know, it, it helps me sleep at night to know that I'm protected. Good for you. It, it, it does. You, you have carved out a space, a, a, a wonderful space. So you know that the area, the slogans, the messaging that, that you've created you have you know, diversified by design. Um, as you said, exceptional planning, extraordinary services. These aren't just slogans. These, this is your business philosophy. This is, you know, these are, these are in the, here, here's a good one. In the sea of similarities, EIG stands out. Yeah. I mean, because you are different. And so you have, you have sent a message to the consuming public that, Ellen Becker investment is distinct and different and people looking at that messaging related to you and learn something about your company. Tavi, what are the differences? I know that we've done trademarking and, um, but there's other things that people need to protect as well. And I always think about that favorite recipe, you know, <laughs> that somebody has if they want to start a, a restaurant or, and they're trying to protect things. What are some of the other things that listeners, business owners um, need to protect? I remember that I had a client who was um, making a game, you know, it was trying to create a game and 
I know that I've got my Pillows with Wings um, charity, and that's a very personal story, and we've wanted to protect that. But what are the things that people really, it's not just businesses. There's people out there that have ideas um, that they want to they wanna protect. In broadly speaking, there are three different kinds of intellectual property. As you said, we've been talking about trademarks, um, which are words and slogans, symbols, which identify and distinguish goods and services. That is distinct, but overlapping with copyrights. Copyrights protect creative works, such as writing, music, film, commercial, and fine art. And as I say, those things overlap. So if you picture, picture a box of wheat thins, okay? The Nabisco, you know, it's, it's yellow. It's got the red um, Nabisco symbol in the corner and there's a bag inside and the bag is sealed. So if we were to look at that, the Nabisco red, red triangle and Nabisco brand is a registered trademark. Both the design and the word are registered trademark. The, the appearance of the packaging is protected by trade dress, which in other words, the look and feel of it. But the artwork on the packaging, whether it's commercial or fine art, the, the packaging design, the, the photographs, that's all protected by copyright. And that, so there, these things can coexist. And let's just say hypothetically that the package that the, and I'm not saying this is the case, it's a hypothetical, that the, that the seal on the waxed plastic bag insert is unusual, that Nabisco came up with a new brand, a new way to close it. That, that is protected by patent. Any, a patent is a, is a limited term, term um, intellectual property right that's given to inventions. So if there were a new innovative way of closing that package, that could be protected by patents. So you're looking at this box of wheat thins and it could be, all three elements could be protected. And on the copyright side, something you said earlier really resonated with me. Because it's so relatively easy to right click and copy things on the internet and drop it into documents, um, there is an increase, tremendous increase in copyright infringement, because just because you can copy it, because your computer allows us to do so with most images, though not all, doesn't mean that you're permitted to do so. So we've represented clients whose website includes other people's images and there's web crawling software. So let's say that a company purchased an image from a photographer and they use this web crawling software and it locates the unauthorized use of that photo on their website. So the client gets a cease and desist letter saying, your image is on our website. And the client contacts me and was horrified because it was a, it's a big company. They had no idea that they had done anything wrong. In fact, a summer intern had uploaded this image and they had no idea that it was protected it is protected. And just because it, it, it doesn't have the C symbol or just because you can copy it doesn't mean that doing so is, is a free ride. All of the intellectual property rules protect against that. So you my, have to be- Finish up, I'm sorry. No, no. I, my guest ahead. today is Kabi Sharif and we are talking about 
patents and we haven't talked about those yet, but copyrights and trademarks and copy. I remember all, I did not know you at this time, but I know the story about when you started, you were um, working in the music industry. And now we're hearing about all these movie stars and write songwriters that are selling their songs for huge amount of money. And I'm assuming that was because they had them all copyrighted, but we can talk about those types of things. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker. My guest today is Kabi Sharif, and we're going to rush right into this because it's one of my most favorite um, shows to do. And we're already running out of time, Kabi, and there's so much more to talk about. I had mentioned earlier that you started your career in music and really worked hard with uh, musicians. Yeah, out of out of graduate school, after law school, I I wanted to do intellectual property. That's all I ever wanted to do. Um, I admire people who are creative in ways that I'm just not. And so as a, as a lawyer, um, it's a way for me to be close to people who, to, to effectuate pe people's ideas and their creative product. So and dreams. Started, yes. <laughs> and their dreams. And it's wonderful. So I started at yeah. RCA Records in New York City um, where I was responsible, among other things, um, it was kind of a fun time in my career, for reviewing album covers. So they would bring the, in addition to music contracts and, and something, the more traditional things you'd expect, they would bring these giant album covers, this artwork into my office. And I had to review them for all of the possible intellectual property issues. Unauthorized product placement, like a Coke bottle with the Coke name on it. You know, I had the- oh, yeah granted. Um, were there people's images on the cover that hadn't been consented to the use of their name and likeness? Were there other people's lyrics on there? Did they had or all of the permissions in place? So that output, the album cover, the front and the back, has so many issues. So it was like each one that came in and I was responsible for reviewing them all was each one of them, you had to think, what are the possible issues? Are people's clothing labels protected? Are, is the music original? All of those issues are embodied in not just the cover, but of course the content. So and it was- of course, it was we look at these covers and we have no idea of what goes into um, actually getting it out there and and putting it out for people to buy and to enjoy. Kabi, I know that there's all this stuff that I'm seeing all the time and it's it's like Twitter and all of these different things that are coming across our, our desk all the time. Um, are there issues with that? Yeah, the intellectual property issues created um, by a lot of the social sites, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, um, really require different considerations. So we have companies whose fans adopt Twitter handles that say the real ABC company and it make it they make it look like they are the company, but really it's a fan site. And the problem is that the company can't really control what's going on because it's not their Twitter handle. That's not a situation where you want to send a heavy cease and desist letter because it's just not appropriate. I think as, as a lawyer and as a company, 
we really have to both be we have to be circumspect and and think about what this isn't a bad guy trying to ride on someone else's reputation it's a fan so that kind of letter is very different than someone who's deliberately trying to use your intellectual property to confuse people so there's different considerations depending on who's doing it we had a case recently where um a third party actually in china adopted the url um in a in an auction of the client's comp comp company name and what they put up at the website was competitive advertising for other people's goods and mm. Eventually, we found this this individual in in China, and he said, "But I bought the URL. I own the URL. I can do what I want with it." And that's a common misconception. Just because you own it doesn't mean that you can use that URL to put up confusing material and use other people's trademarks improperly. He wanted. He tried to extort money from the company, which is itself a violation. And then he said that he would sell it to at auction. Anyway, long story short, we eventually got back the URL, the the handle, and the company owns it. And the the lesson here is to think proactively, adopt permutations, control your brand. Companies should be very careful at monitoring not only the websites of their competitors, but generally looking. You know, do a Google search for your company name, see who's saying and doing things. And be aware of it. It's um, it's something that companies can do to protect themselves and not rely exclusively on outside people, lawyers or otherwise, to monitor. But it monitoring is part of the obligations and the good planning for companies in their intellectual property. Pabi, what happens? And you've mentioned in the past with with all of these things that you have to be using them. And so often we do hear things, though. And I know this might be more patent related, where you'll have um, a certain drug or something say that the patent is run out or how do things run out? I mean, if you don't use them or you, is there a, a life expectancy or how does some of that work? Um, it's country specific, but um, generally most companies um, have an initial 10 year term. So if you register in the United States, you, the initial term is 10 years, but midway through that initial term between the fifth and sixth year, you have to file evidence that you're using the trademark. And again, this has gotten much more complicated now that people can digitize um, images. So there's a lot of fake specimens that are happening in the trademark office. So we're in the early days, you could submit the image of a label that's no longer accepted in the trademark office. It has to be the label on the goods where you can see the goods because the trademark office is now so crowded. It's, um, it's much harder to register now than it used to be because um, among other reasons, Amazon has tied access to its um, brand registry program to register trademarks. So everybody wants one. It has become something that is vital to online business. So it's the short answer is they are harder to get. They are typically 10 years in duration, but they are renewable endlessly as long as you continue to use the trademark in commerce. So I know you, we have to give you proof of these trademarks being used in um, 
our our notes and in, in our in touch newsletter on our web page. I mean, we're consistently um, giving you evidence that we are actually using these and that they're still vital to our business. What happens if you decide you just don't want it anymore? You're not using it. Is it good to keep it? Do you let go of it? I think you and I have let go of a couple of things over the years. If, if the, you know, brands change over time, they evolve. Both the look and feel and the messaging naturally has a shelf life. Um, you know, so if you think about like the Aunt Jemima packaging, that was very popular, but it is socially unacceptable now. And so that they rebranded, re you know, there's things do have um, currency. So there is a tendency to, to review and let things go that no longer serve you. My guest today is Kabi Sharif, and she is a um, patent, trademark, copyright attorney. She's located um, on Paul Road in Pewaukee, and her phone number is 262-241-3400. Should you have any questions, and if uh, this has kind of tweaked your interest as to the importance of really protecting your property and the things that you work so hard for. With that, we're gonna take a break and we will be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is attorney Kavi Sharif, and she is located on, safe, on Paul Road in uh, Pewaukee, and her company is Bloomfell Sharif. And I gave her another title, um, and I had forgotten that. I've talked to Kavi about that before. She doesn't really do patents. You really do focus on copyrights and uh, all the other things that we've been talking about today and trademarks. And Kavi, we only have about eight minutes left. So I'm going to let you run with this because there's so much more to cover. Thanks, Karen. Um, I was thinking about things that could be of, of value to listeners and, and about some of the copyright issues in addition to the trademark issues for, um, for companies related to their software um, and to their branding. It's really important to understand that the copyright law protects the creative work, whether it's software code or logo design or um, marketing materials. That belongs to the entity that created it. So in the absence of a written contract that says this, is, um, this material belongs to the entity that is paying for it, and that copyright transfers, and they're in the absence of a written signed agreement, the artist, the marketing company, whichever, unless it falls under a very limited exception called the work made for hire, the artist, the creative party owns that. And, and how that comes into play in the real world is that a startup hires a software engineer to design their website and to, and to you know, get them going, and everything's great, until it's not. And right before the launch there, it turns out that the website is buggy. The software engineer says it'll cost an extra fill in the blank $20,000 to fix it. And they said, no, this was covered in the original, um, in our original contract. And the software engineer says, that's it, you're locked out. And they say, but we've paid for it. Well, unless there's a written agreement that says it's transferred, 
it's there may be an issue about whether or not they're entitled to some of their money back or whether they got what they paid for, but the underlying work belongs to the engineer. And so it's important when you're thinking about startups to think about transfer agreements as part of that, whether it's design of a logo, you know, you have your best friend do a logo and that's great, but you know, it's important that you own your own, the company owns all of its own intellectual property, whether it's the, the tangible stuff, the intangible stuff, it, it's all has to be clarified on the front end because it, like, like any other relationship, it's great while it's great. And then when it goes bad, it's very hard in the absence of written material to clarify what everybody really intended and what's fair and right. You know, Kabi, uh, something happened to me. I don't know if you remember it, but I many, 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 many years ago wrote a little short book and I wanted to, and it was very, it was very, it was personal. It was about me and I did it for my kids. And then I wanted to do something as part of that. And I was working with a woman, a ghostwriter, and I showed this other person the book and they said, you can't do anything with that story. It's not yours. Because on there, she had said it was hers. She had, was the writer and she copywrote it and said, this is the, this is the, um, it can't be reproduced without the permission of, because it was, and I said, but it was my story. How could it be? And it wasn't, I couldn't do anything with it. The expression, uh, it is your story, but the expression, the specific words, the way she wrote it is hers unless there's a written agreement. And we didn't have that. I didn't know anything about it. And the copyright office is a, is a very different place than the trademark office. It's a much more user-friendly place. And, um, you know, I often advise clients um, that it's really a place that they probably, there's line by line instructions that they can do okay for themselves. They can file those copyright applications because if you mess up in the copyright office, it's not unusual to get a letter that's from the copyright office that says, dear applicant, here's how you <laughs> fix your mistake. <laughs> it's very different than the trademark office where filing deadlines matter um, and that if you mess up, a lot of times you don't have the opportunity to get it fixed. What are some of the other things that um, individuals, business owners, startups um, should be really considering as, as they're listening to what you're, you know, you have to say, first of all, I think give a call and, uh, and get the information. I think you really have to know where you're at right now before you can maybe move forward. I think you're right. And I think that it's important to, to get those ducks in a row and get it all separate for this, doing the back work before you get started, whether it's setting up your separate bank account, making sure that as a business, you act like a business and that you have business practices insurance so that you're not, even as you're getting started, so that your personal assets aren't at risk. You need to act like a business, incorporate, you know, become a whatever corporate form you want to do. It's not terribly expensive. Set up a separate bank account and treat yourself as a business and create an identity that will serve the company in a long run. And the, the name of the company, the registration in the Department of Financial Institutions need not, need not be identical from a, um, from, a, from a brand point of view to that which um, is registered in the Department of Financial Institutions. They're separate considerations. They can be the same, but they needn't. But all of that process, all of that strategic planning should take place on the early end because as I say, it is so costly and causes such a loss of momentum if you have to restart. And Kavi, what if somebody has been in business 
for four or five years and they already have this set and then they discover that there's an infringement on someone else. Do you just kind of maybe go with it for a little while? Do you try to change the brand? What does somebody do? I mean, and, and we only have two minutes left. So <laughs> but some of that station, it depends on whether there's been any actual confusion. Some of it is a negotiation and there may be geographic limitations that if you're, you know, I have, I've had this with, with beer companies where they're, they're doing business locally and it turns out that there's somebody in Montana um, it depends on the culture of the business. There's something called brotherhood in, in, um, in beer, where that is <laughs> legal than others that are more competitive, other industries, but you try to work it out. But there has to be, you know, as a matter of law, you can't use a trademark, which is likely to cause confusion, particularly if that someone else is the prior user. My guest today is attorney Kavi Sharif, and she is with Bloomfield and Sharif. She is located in Pewaukee. Her phone number is 262-241-3400 if you um, have any questions. And I hope you've enjoyed the show as much as I've enjoyed um, interviewing Kavi and all the amazing information that she has. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we all listen. And they are all trademarked. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. It's been such a pleasure being with you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.